0: that you would come and speak to us through the preaching of your word open up our hearts and minds that we might hear and respond to what you have for us this morning in Jesus name amen have you ever tried to use the wrong tool for a job you're trying to get done you know i recently i my iphone was having some problems and uh, there was i could tell that there was something stuck in the battery port and so I was trying to get something to get it out, and I found like one of Daisy's baby's forks, and I'm trying to pry that in there, and that wasn't working, and... Then I tried a toothpick, and that broke off, and none of the tools were working. I couldn't get my, my phone to charge, and that's, that's a pretty big deal. It was at 25%, so I'm like, i got to get, get to this fixed. So I go to a store down in Donata Square, and, and I take it to the guy. And I say, hey, can you fix this? Oh, yeah, I know what the problem is, exactly. And he takes this little pick out that looks like one of those dentist picks that you go and they pick, pick your teeth with. He took one of those things, got the little lint out, and my phone was working. And it was great, and it was all about having the right tool for the job. And, you know, I think sometimes when we use the wrong tool, we don't accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. You know, there is a lot of problems with the church in the West today. That's a very well-known fact. You hear that all the time. There seems to be a lack of power. There seems to be a, a lack of people coming to Christ. And we, there seems to be a lack of just dynamic living that we see maybe in other countries around the world. And we try to use all kinds of tools to fix the problem, right? We try, we try all these different methods, and that's, and that's great. And the reality is, there's, on my phone, there's a lot of helpful tools on here. There's a lot of great apps that I can recommend to you. But you know what? Unless it's connected to the power, none of those tools matter. You already see what I'm saying. Unless the church of Jesus Christ is connected to God through regular and constant prayer, none of the tools and none of the methods that we use will, be, will amount to anything because they won't have any power behind them. We have to be connected to our power source, our Heavenly Father. And the primary tool for church health and for church growth is prayer. That is the primary tool. That is the one thing that is needed to power everything else that we're doing as a church. You know, I think many people in our society, they don't view prayer as this exciting tool that empowers everything we do. I think for most people, it's it's kind of viewed as a burden, unfortunately. It's kind of a thing that we have to do, that we have to get around to. You know, meetings for for just prayer seem to be kind of that optional extra that churches do. It's not viewed as the one thing that's needed to empower us as the body of Christ. And even prayer in the public worship of many evangelical Christians is on the decline. There's less and less prayer in worship service today. Prayer is being reduced to opening and closing statements. And there's not a time, a dedicated time, to do the central work of prayer as the body of Christ. And this morning, I'm continuing our series on the worship-centered church, and I want to talk about the crucial need for the church to be a praying church, for the church to pray together, especially when we come to corporate worship. You know, you may not think Christians would need a reminder to keep prayer central, but they do. And even the Apostle Paul had to remind the, the church in Ephesus when he wrote 1 Timothy Uh, And so he makes this point clear, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles right now to 1 Timothy 2. It's a text that Gene read for us this morning. I'm going to be preaching from that. You can follow along. And in chapter 2, verse 1, well, the whole whole letter is about Paul giving instructions to his mentee, Timothy, and how he's going to lead the church in Ephesus. And verse 1, this is how he's describing some of his instructions. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving... Be made for all people. So here's going to be the structure of my sermon this morning. I'm going to talk about why we should pray together, who we should be praying for, and how we should do it. That's the structure. Why we need to do it, who we should pray for, and how we can do it. All right, so let me talk about why we should pray together. Paul starts off this, this chapter with I urge. It's this word for I'm imploring you, I am strongly I- exhorting you. He is, he is kind of flexing his, his, his apostolic muscles here. He's the Apostle Paul. I'm urging you, I'm almost, I'm almost commanding you, this is what you need to be doing. And for, for whatever reason, the church in Ephesus, they seem to be lacking in prayer. They're, they're neglecting it. Um, you know, it's, it's not of primary importance to them. And I wonder, this is a church that's so close to the time of Jesus and the early disciples, how are they already seem to be lacking in prayer? How is that possible? I asked, well, you know, sometimes for me, I think it's helpful to think about in terms of what the enemy of God, Satan, is trying to do. That can help us think about what's going on. This is exactly what C.S. Lewis did in the Screw Tape Letters. Many of you are probably familiar with that book. He's thinking about Satan and what he would try to do to derail Christians in the church. And And if I were Satan, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but if I were him, I think I would try to disconnect the body of Christ from their source. I would try to cut the power off at the main line. And so maybe the first thing that he's attacking is prayer in the church. This is the thing that he's trying to stop Christians to do. Because he knows when the church is not a praying church, it will not be a very effective one. It will not be a very alive church. Satan knows that when prayer is lacking in the local church, the church becomes lukewarm. They begin to languish. They begin to decrease. And eventually churches that don't pray become dying churches. And they die because they will not bear fruit that will last, because they are not connected to their source. Jesus said, I am the vine, be connected to me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without that connection to God and prayer, we can accomplish nothing of everlasting value. Warren Wearsby said, when a local church ceases to depend on prayer, God ceases to bless their ministry. God ceases to bless it. So Paul, he urges, he urges, this is the f- most important And if that wasn't enough, then look what he says. He says, first of all. Now, he's not referring to this is the first thing you should do. This is not a time sequence phrase. This is about primary importance. First of all, make this your chief concern. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, that great church planner, this is a consistent theme in his message. Look how he's setting up the church. You can see all these things on the screen. All these verses, Romans 12, 12, he says, Be persistent in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray constantly. Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Clearly, the Apostle Paul had a singular message about prayer, that it's important that we got to be persistent, that we got to be devoted, that it's got to be central. And he's saying it over and over again in different ways. Charles Spurgeon was one of the most famous preachers in, in all of England during the mid to late 1800s. He drew thousands of people and spoke to thousands of people about Jesus Christ. He's one of the most effective pastors and preachers of his time. And someone came to Mr. Spurgeon and said, well, what's the success of your preaching? How do you have so much power when you preach and how are you reaching so many people? And I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he, you know, he says, he says you know, come, come look at this. And he takes the man to their stage and he takes him to a room underneath the stage where Mr. Spurgeon would be preaching. And underneath that stage was a room dedicated to prayer. And during the entire worship service of every service, there was a group of people praying for the worship service, and that people would come to know Christ. And he's saying, This, this is our furnace room, this is the success of our ministry. This is why we're seeing so much fruit in what God is doing here. See, Spurgeon knew. Prayer has to be central for the church to be effective. It's the number one tool that we have. So that's why we have to do it. Well, second question. Who should we pray for? Who should we pray for? Paul kind of gives all these words. He says, petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving should be made for who? All people. All people. So, Let me talk briefly about the different words here. The petitions, this is like a specific request for a need. You have something in mind. Prayer is the general Greek word for prayer. It's really you're taking those needs to God in prayer. Intercession, this is the idea of coming before a king to have a request on someone else's behalf. That is the idea there. And Thanksgiving, that's just the general word for giving thanks. And he says all of these things, all four of those, these are things that we're directing outward towards other people. That we're praying on behalf of others. We're interceding to all kinds of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. We're making prayers on their behalf. And uh, one translation says it this way in the the USB handbook. This kind of helps different translators make decisions. And they translate it this way. Paul is, is saying, earnestly ask God to supply the needs of everyone. That they pray for others. That they pray on behalf of all people. And that they thank God for what he has done for everyone. See, they're trying to get across the idea that these prayers are all outward. They're all towards others. We're praying for all people, for everybody. So, well, why does God want us to pray for all people? Why does does he want us to pray for everyone? Well, look at what Paul says in verses 4 through 5 in your text. He says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So he's saying God wants you to pray for everybody because God wants to save everybody. God wants to save all mankind, and so we have to pray for all people to that end. And so I want to talk about maybe two different categories here. So if you think about number two is who we should pray for. This is letter A. The church should pray for all lost people to become saved people. The church should pray for all lost people to become saved people. You see, God's mission is to rescue every lost person, that they be set free from the lies of Satan and the world and come to a knowledge of the truth that sets them free in Jesus Christ. Because there's one Savior, there's one mediator between us and God, and that's Jesus. You know, friends, there would be no need to pray for all people if there were many mediators. If there were many different gods if there were many different paths, if there were more than one way of salvation. No, God is saying, this is my plan to save all people. There is one mediator between God and mankind. It's Jesus Christ. And he wants to include everybody in that plan. But that's the plan. That that is the means by which God is saving the entire world. It's through Christ, Jesus, and him alone. So we must pray to that end. And uh, the church ought to express the same desire that God has. God wants all people to be saved, so we should want all people to be saved, and we should show that through our prayers for all people. Now, if you can recall in your mind back to Lent, we had a, a sermon series called Bless, and it was the five missional practices that any Christian can do to help reach somebody for Christ, and they stand for different things. And the B was begin with prayer. Begin with prayer, because that is the first thing that we should be doing on behalf of people who don't know Jesus Christ. And I, and I don't know why God has ordained this, the way to work, but sometimes God will not work until we pray. James says, you have not because you ask not. For some reason, God has ordained to do his work through the work and prayers of his people. And so if we don't pray, we're missing out on what God is doing. We must pray on behalf of all people. John Wesley said it this way, Do you ask why are not more converted? We do not pray enough. Simple as that. Do we wonder why we don't see more people coming to Christ in our world, in our church? We don't pray enough. That's the answer. Our vision this year, is to, it's to as you know, is to develop a focused outreach, to reach out to our community. And I know that, that some of you, you're, you're uncomfortable with that word because you, you think it means talking to strangers and being on the street. That, that's not what I mean by outreach. It's really what I mean is we're reaching out to our community with the love of Christ. Um, But here's also a comfort to you, for those of you who are kind of, you're taking baby steps towards outreach. God wants prayer to be an outreach. God wants to use prayer as an outreach. In fact, our prayer should be aimed towards that end, to the salvation of all people, that people in our community would come to know the gospel of Jesus through our prayers. Without prayer, outreach isn't possible. Without prayer, evangelism won't make a difference. We need to be praying people. Well, then you might ask, you know, what if, What if your heart isn't really in outreach? What if you don't really care about outreach all that much? What if you don't really care about people coming to Christ all that greatly? Well, let me give this word of advice to you. We tend to start caring about what we start praying about. You see that? You see how that works? We tend to start caring about what we start praying about. And if you don't have a heart for the lost, if you don't have a heart for those who don't know Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that should greatly concern you. That should be, a, that should be a, a light bulb in your car going off. What, what is going on in my heart? And if you don't have that concern, you do not simply have the heart of God because that is God's earnest desire. His eager desire is to save all people through his son. That is everything he is working for in the entire world. And if we don't have that same heart, we need to start praying. Praying that God changes us and start praying for the lost. You see, prayer is the means by which God draws the lost to himself, but it's also the means by which he starts changing you, and that you might become part of his plan to redeem and save the world. So we need to pray about all the lost people that we know, the lost people in our community, people who don't know Jesus Christ, and begin to pray. So that's letter A. Letter B is, Paul talks about this, we we pray for those in authority that primarily that the gospel may spread. Primarily that the gospel may spread. Verse 2 says, Pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. See, a couple things about the context of this passage. Uh, Paul is, is he's writing at a time when the Roman Caesars, they claimed to be the Lord and Savior of the whole world. If you're a Christian, that should give you some light bulbs. They're claiming to be the Lord and Savior. And in fact, so much so that they wanted all the people in the empire to pray to them as a God. And Paul is kind of giving some uh, subversive messages here. And look what N.T. Wright says. He says, notice how Paul puts it. Pray for those in authority, not to. Because this is acceptable to God, our Savior. There's only one Savior, and it isn't Caesar or any other human being, matter how powerful they are however surprising it may seem to us praying for those in authority even if they are pagan rulers will become part of God's plan to spread the gospel to all the world you see this whole passage on prayer is set in the context of God's desire to see salvation and the gospel spread to the whole world so even when we pray for those in authority we're praying to that end we're praying that the gospel may spread, that those in authority may make decisions that help the gospel spread. So you think about some countries that are, that are closed, that are restricted uh, to missionary outreach, to evangelism. We think, we think about those who are in authority in those countries, wanting to pray for them. You know, some countries right now have so much instability, so much violence, that missionary families are being forced out, and they're not able to spread the gospel because of the conditions there. So we want to pray, Paul says, for peace and stability in these countries so that we have the ability to, to, yes, evangelize and spread the gospel. And honestly, you know, for the sake of the gospel, we might want to think about praying for our country to continue to be a place where people who are being forced out can come who don't know Jesus, who don't know the gospel, that we might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Do you see how praying for those in authority and, and how praying is motivation for the gospel changes how we pray for those in authority, the motivation is slightly different. You see, our prayers for the politicians and rulers in our country should be primarily about this God's desire to see people saved. So let me make it clear. We're not praying for our partisan desires to be met. We're not even necessarily praying for certain people or certain parties to be elected. What we're praying for is that those who are in authority currently would come to know Jesus as Lord, and would have the wisdom to uphold the common good. And that they would encourage conditions that facilitate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're praying for. And you know, frankly, right now in our divisive times, this is, this is kind of hard to do. But I want to remind you that Paul was giving these instructions during a very difficult political time. Most people think it was written when Nero was the emperor who was persecuting Christians and burning them and crucifying them. And he's saying, pray for those who are in authority. No matter what we think about them, no matter how maybe ungodly they may seem or divisive the times are, we pray for those in authority that the gospel of Jesus Christ might spread and that they might come to know Jesus themselves. So that's how we pray. We pray for all lost people to become saved people, and we pray for those in authority that the gospel of Jesus might spread. So, how are we to pray in corporate worship? How are we to pray? So I've kind of alluded to this, we're we're directing our prayers outwards and, and we all must do this. It's a task of the whole church. You see, this is important to think about because the prayers of corporate worship will begin to shape your private prayer and your family prayer. That what we pray about in church is going to have an effect on how you pray. And so in church, if we never pray for the lost, if we never pray for those in authority, if we never pray for the world and concerns around the globe, we probably won't be concerned about that in our own prayers. Because what we do here shapes the rest of our week. And so we want to aim our prayer time in the church primarily outward. So that our own prayers turn outward. So that our lives can become outward focused. So that people might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Because God's responding to our prayers. And because our hearts are being changed. Because we're praying for people. You know the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And prayer is our greatest tool in accomplishing that purpose. So not only do we pray primarily for others, it's also something that all of us are called to do. It's a task of the whole church. So the prayers of intercession that we do when we meet, that's something that we all need to do. Uh, One scholar has, has a great name, Hughes Oliphant Old. Great name, great name, reformed guy. And he says this, One of the distinctions between public and private prayer is that in public prayer, we pray as a community, for the community, and for the concerns of the community. In the ancient church, the church of the third and fourth centuries, as well as in the church of the Reformation, the major prayer for the service of the Lord's Day was the prayer of intercession. There was always in the history of the church a dedicated time to pray on behalf of all people. They were obeying 1 Timothy 2 that they needed to set aside a time when they came together. I used this quote maybe about a month ago when we started this series. We actually have a description of one of the early church services from about uh, the year 150 A.D. from Justin Martyr, and who was martyred for his faith, obviously. And he describes uh, what a service looked like back then. And and it's amazing. He says, On the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live, so there's your gathering to worship, the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president or the pastor in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation. There's the word of God being preached. Look what happens next. Next, we all rise together and send up prayers. That was how they responded often. And then they would, the table would come after that and then they'd be sent out. So part of the a crucial part, one of the main parts of the church service was, has always been a time of corporate prayer of intercession on behalf of other people. so it's often called the prayers of the people because we're all praying together, and you could call it the prayers of the people for all people because we're praying on behalf of others. So how we pray is primarily outward towards others and it's all together. So I want to uh, talk about how we do that as a church. And before I do, I want to talk about just three opportunities for prayer meetings that we have at our church, and you can look at those here. We have six thirty on Wednesdays. We gather here in the sanctuary. Uh, Seven thirty beginning this Saturday on Saturday mornings. I'm not sure where that's even located. Does anybody know? Bar is Barpoof on here. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe it's to be determined. We'll let you know on that. And and then eight forty five on Sunday mornings, we meet a group of us meet in my office to pray for our for our service, and that is crucial what we do here because we believe we have to pray for God to work and move. And so let me talk about, so there's some times that we gather together as a church to pray. And then let me talk about prayer in the service. Um, there's different types of the prayers of the people time. There's a few different types. So one type is uh, maybe what most of you might be used to. This is called the pastoral prayer. This is kind of the pastor comes and prays on behalf of the church. And, uh, you know, frankly, this, this is probably the hardest to be engaged in uh, as, a, as a member, as a congregant. Um, I recognize that, that you've listened to a sermon and now you're listening to somebody else praying. But even when that's happening, the, the idea is not that the pastor is just praying, but that everyone is joining with what's being said. So even when the, it's a pastoral prayer, it's still the prayers of the people because we're all joining in and adding our amen. And then there's the small group prayer where you get together in groups of two or three or four maybe and you pray together um, as a little community. Uh, it's also called what's called bidding prayer. And you've experienced this where the leader will say a topic and then often a time of silence or maybe uh, people might even speak from the congregation in some churches based on what topic was announced. Uh, there's what's called a litany. And this is where there's a kind of a, uh, the leader, the prayer leader, the pastor will, will pray a prayer. Then there's a congregational response such as, you know, Lord, hear our prayer or Lord, have mercy. Um, that's a way to pray as well. And there's also the unison prayer. And this is where there's kind of a written prayer that we all say together. So those are different types of ways that we do this. And then I want to talk about uh, kind of a sample template uh, to how I hope to walk through this as a church together. Uh, usually there's kind of an opening invocation. We're addressing God. We're blessing God. Um, and not all prayers of the people do this, but we have a time of confession. Um, and you know, some churches will put the prayer of confession in other spots in the service. But as it stands right now, this is where we have our, our confession uh, in our prayer time. And it's important to do that as a church. When, we, when you come to church and we never confess our sins, what kind of people are we forming, right? Like we, we need to be doing that as a church. And then there's uh, the Thanksgiving and intercession. Uh, and these are kind of five different categories that we should be thinking about when we come to pray. Uh, we start with the biggest sphere, the world and the spread of the gospel. And so uh, different times I'll probably come with like a country or some, some other global issue, maybe something in the news, we'll be praying about that. Then we kind of shrink it down and there's the global church, our brothers and sisters around the globe and the mission of the gospel. And then we shrink it down a little more. We have the civil authority and community needs. We think about what's going on uh, even right here in Wheaton, but also maybe in our country and different things we need to be praying for. And then we shrink it down a little more and we think about our church and our mission, what God is doing here. And then we shrink it down more, special needs. Of The congregation we think about members who need prayer for healing or any special needs that we know of we want to make sure that we pray for that as well and then we end that time together by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer Uh, and so that's kind of I hope that gives you a framework for what we're doing when we come together as the church to pray Um, and so what we're gonna do this morning is I'm gonna walk you through a time of prayer together we're gonna do small group prayer style today Um, and before I do uh, I want us to prepare our hearts that we can hear our Heavenly Father, that we can bring these concerns and needs just just like the kids did this morning. Uh, We can come to our Father uh, who wants to hear from us and desires to work through our prayers. Um, So this morning, would you prepare your hearts by singing uh, Lord, listen to your children praying and then I will give us a few more instructions. It's number 386 in your hymn.